Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and days of old lang syne? For old lang syne, dear. For old lang syne, we'll tak a cup o' kindness yet for days of old lang syne. You all right? I'm all right, mate. How are you? I'm not too bad. Just going over the last um, few little notes and things like that. So, cool. so uh, just going through with it, uh, like what categories to do and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, in general, pretty good. You? Yeah, not too bad. Ticking along, mate, as ever. Always, always good. All ready for Christmas or still sort of getting that ready and um, putting it all together? I'm pretty ready, really. We don't have a lot. We haven't got kids or anything, so it's pretty straightforward for us, really. Nice. Oh, I envy you. <laughs> I envy you so much. Um, yeah, not too bad. Nice. No, we, we've just been trying to get them out of the house and try and you know, keep them out of trouble more than anything else. We've got one more yeah. week of uh, freedom whilst they go back to school. Uh, <laughs> Mainly my, my wife is also going to school and, and doing her teaching for another week as well. So, um, But uh, it's the last last week of quiet for me, I suppose I should say. <laughs> cool. But yeah, um, cool. Well, um, this is it. It's the last Nexus Nights for the year. Um, yep. We figured just... Um, have a little chat about 2151 the year yep. what happened um so i've got uh, uh technical achievements as a category for us to discuss a couple of things have been sort of taken in for that um mvp is just open for us to chat about i haven't really yeah. made a decision yet so that's really for us to yeah just... that's really interesting i'm the same i'm sort of been thinking about that and i haven't yeah. quite decided yeah i've narrowed it down to a list of four <laughs> but i can't figure out which one um uh character storylines again like where did they start where have they ended up yeah. general discussion again we don't have to hit every character but if there's one that sort of stands out because flocks I, I really couldn't see a a difference no flocks at the beginning of the year and flocks at the end is pretty much the same guy at the moment uh, as, as important as he is when you look at it that way he hasn't really been developed um first contacts there are 22 species so i'm just going to go name Bad or promising? No, like no, don't talk about because cool. that's going to take hours if we did that yeah. one at a time. Um, protocols, are, are, you know, what what was drafted up, you know, what yeah. uh, what will change, you know, what is basically what the consequences is for every episode. Yeah. Um, you know, what is Starfleet going to draft up based on this? And then I've got a throwaway thing of uh, stats. Uh, Archer abductions, Traitrid, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, cool. and a couple of categories that I don't really have a jingle for, but it's sort of been a thing that I've noticed throughout all the episodes. So, um, that's it. Unless there's any other categories you can think of. No, I did have a think about it, but I, I think you've covered pretty much 
Yes, but I'm sure maybe things will appear as we go. But yeah, um, I mean, if something comes out of the conversation, then yeah, by all means. Okay, yeah, cool. All right, nice one. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so uh, with this, there's no real introduction. So there'll be the this is the Temporal Trek Nexus Knights. This is the Temporal Trek Nexus Knights. That's it, pretty much. Um, right. Well, welcome back to Nexus Knights. Uh, this is uh, sort of a roundup of something from our main show that we're going to put into this, the spin-off show. But I'll also put it in the main show feed. It's all crisscrossy and timey wimey, and you know, it wouldn't be Temple Trek if it wasn't confusing. Um, so <laughs> this is what we're going to do. But of course, I'm not uh, alone for this. I'm joined by the new, the co-host, the the permanent resident on the team, and it is Dan. How you doing, Dan? Hello. I'm good. Hello. Yes. The the co-host is quite an honour. I'm very honoured. <laughs> I'm yes. going to have to get you the T-shirt, the mugs, yes. the lay, you know, the, the pin badge, everything. You know. Yeah, lanyard. I need a lanyard for the oh, access door. Absolutely, yeah. You just got to pull it away and then, you know, put it in front of the thing and it wipes it straight through. Um, we don't really need it because the sensors let you through the door anyway, but it's nice to have. It's always good. Um, yeah, so um, we're going to be discussing 2151. The, mm. the year so far. So not necessarily the end of the season because yeah. season uh, one of Enterprise covers two years as we're going to go through. Uh, but this is everything from season three of the podcast, episode 2.99, the little time travel uh, doohickey where Daniels took him out of Shockwave and yeah. I had I actually missed it and I had to re-record it and put it in at the beginning of Broken Bow. But that is April 2151, all the way up to what will be our episode 22 on season three which is vox solar which is outside of the netflix order but in a chronological order which is the last episode of 2151 oh, it'll make sense in the end i, I was going to say it makes perfect sense it? <laughs> it really does good old temple trek um yeah so we started out with archer getting abducted by daniels and taken out the time stream at the beginning yeah. of the year this was before i had archer abduction so this again is timey wiminess i started the jingle but i should have gone back and done it but i've now included that in the stats so that might change a few things that we're discussing but for 2151 we've got a couple of categories that we're going to discuss we've got tech achievements so what uh technically has starfleet um or basically read invented um this season or this year um who is the most valuable character the most valuable person mvp uh character storylines where did they start where did they end up maybe not everybody but people who've had significant development this year first contacts good or promising not necessarily uh um good all the time but promising and bad and protocols uh, what was drafted up based on the consequences that we've discussed for every episode up to now. And then a little bit of stats work. I always like a bit of stats. That's always fun as well. Um, but uh, first off, general impressions of 2151. Do you think that this was a good year for Starfleet? Was it a good year for Star Trek? Um, <clears throat> I think it has to be a good year for Starfleet because it they, they, they went into space, you know, deep space. So, you know, that's got to be a, a massive achievement. Um a good year for Star Trek. Now that's a different question. Um, the first season as well, so yes, I'm probably season, asking the wrong yeah. person here. <laughs> I suppose. I, I think um, when people look back at Enterprise now, there's a little bit more, you know, love for the show. The um, the season is particularly good, but I don't think it's quite as bad as people like to to imagine and and sort of you know 
I think um, there are some good episodes. There are some good moments, definitely. Um, but it's not it's not a vintage year. Put it that way. Mm, yeah, it's not the one everyone goes back to, is it? It's it's uh, it's probably been outclassed by what eventually they will do in season three and season four. So people don't tend to look backwards and and think, well, actually, no, season one was quite nice. But in this rewatch, there have mm. been some real standout moments. There have been some really nice character moments. Yep. The you know little vignettes that we've been uh, discussing throughout uh, the last few episodes, at least, where we just get to see a bit of life on the ship, which yep. wasn't even something we got in TOS or even TNG, uh, which are often seen as the standout or the, the best of Star Trek because they came first. Um, yep. You know, there's things that this show was already doing in season one that it took seasons of DS9 and, and Voyager to get to. Um, so there has been some really nice stuff. But yeah, like you say, there have been a lot of episodes that feel like they've I don't know, pulled their punches, haven't quite hit right. They yeah. maybe messed around with the pacing or they've changed this or that. And it hasn't quite landed as well as we'd hoped, um, yeah. which is hard for a first season because they're still getting to know everything. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you know, they've already had you know, 40 odd years of Star Trek up to this point to learn those mistakes. They could have hit the ground running in theory. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think... Um... So that I think that Picard did actually. Mm. I don't think by the end of the series actually I was. It, I think it lost its way. But to begin with, I thought it really benefited, as you say, from the experience of Star Trek of of making Star Trek and what works and stuff. Um, but this, for some reason, I think they were trying to go down a slightly different route. You know, the sort of early two thousands. It was all about sort of prestige TV and all that sort of stuff. And I never quite hit that. Mm. I think personally DS9 was probably the only series so far that's really hit that. Mm. Certainly towards the end, the like sort of four, four, season four onwards really was, you know, was great television. Regardless of it being Star Trek, it was a great show. Mm. Um, and I don't think Enterprise quite managed that for whatever reason. I think... Um, you know, Brennan Bren Braga and, and uh, Rick Berman maybe have something to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, their their style, for want of a better word, is um, didn't really didn't really work. But, you know, equally, I think there's a lot to enjoy in this this series, you know, in this season mm. um, without without it reaching heights that you'd hope it could do. Well, um, on that, I suppose we should start with our first category and just go yeah. from there. The talking of achievements, talking about what's been made out of the year, uh, we'll start with tech achievements, I guess. Um, yeah. The tech achievements uh, for this year, as far as I can get on my notes, and if you've got yeah. any others, please feel free to jump in. We've got our first EM fields. Reed was able to put together the first uh, EM field uh, to contain an alien. Now that's Vox Solar as the episode. Now this episode is going to be going out before that is going to go out on the main show. But everyone's seen Vox Solar. It's in the past. It's no spoilers here. But yes, he does create the first EM field. We have a first use of a tractor beam, not necessarily by the Vulcans, but at least on a Starfleet ship, you know, to yeah. pull them out of breaking ice. Yes. Um, we had targeted torpedoes, so Reed kind of figured out how to use the torpedoes in a better way. Something, again, that he figured out that the people back at Jupiter Station just couldn't work out themselves. Um, he also was able to build, with Tripp's assistant, uh, two new phase cannons out of yes. nothing. He yes. was able to build it out of nothing. 
And the only other tech achievement that I can find or sort of scientific achievement that wasn't to do with Reed uh, was micro singularities, even though we only discovered it because Reed got stuck on a shuttle with Trip. So uh, Reed is pretty much behind every achievement of 2151 in some way or another. I suppose a big one you've missed is um, Warp 5. <gasps> of course. Of course. Absolutely. The first Although use I'm not of the Warp sure 5 they engine. actually get to Warp 5, do they? I know that in Fallen Hero, which I think might be outside of our mm, thing, actually. That, yeah, 2152 will be. Yeah, but warp I don't five. think they even get to Warp 5 then. I think no. it's 4.9, whatever. Mm, I think. So they... I don't think they actually make Warp 5, but it's the Warp 5 engine. I see now I'm second guessing myself. Did they. Did they push it up to five for Broken Bow? I don't think they did, did they? I don't think they... they may, no. no, I'm not sure. It's almost like they were saving it for the end of the season. Like, we're yes. finally going to get up to Warp 5. It was always 4.5. There was like at yeah. one time where they were running away from some of the enemies that they've come across over the years. Uh, or over the year, I should say. Um, but they didn't really... Yeah, I don't know if they actually hit Warp 5. But they were using the Warp 5 engine, I suppose yes. we should say that. They, yeah. they had the capability. So, yes, Warp 5 engine. Okay, yeah. One thing that Reed is not connected to is the <laughs> use of the Warp 5 engine, um, uh, other than to run away from the enemies that he wants to blow up, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think... <laughs> um, yeah, I think we're going to talk a bit about uh, Most Valuable um, Crew mm. Member. And without wanting to jump the gun, I'm not. I don't think Reed will be my pick. But equally, when you look at it, he, you know, what what's always quite amusing is that he's a bit like Scotty in a funny sort of way. Mm. That, um, you know, like they've been working on like the EM fields for like five years or whatever it is they've been working on it, and they haven't got it. And he got like twenty minutes and got it <laughs> sorted. <laughs> um, no, so that is sort of like a bit of bit of Scotty style, sort of, or even I suppose, well, any of the engineers, in fact. Very true. You no, know, they they all sort of pull things out, you know, from from nowhere, sort of thing. So, um, so read read, you know, when you look at his stuff, he's done, you know, and the the problem with the the missiles, what makes me laugh about the missiles is, yeah, he's got the the targeting working and stuff, but you know, when they shoot out, they're not. They're, they're, <laughs> They go out about three miles an hour. And you, think, you just sort of like, you know, you just move the ship slightly and they just go straight past. <laughs> They're not really like deadly weapons or anything, are they? They should have done that in like Silent Enemy or Fight and Flight when they first threw it off. The ship just went zoop and they just moved out of the way. <laughs> that would have been so much more of a blow, I think. Just rather than seeing it impacting on the shields and just doing nothing. Mm. Just we can move out. What are you doing? Just this is like yeah. a catapult against us. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Yeah. What he's done may not necessarily be, um, you know, earth shattering, but yeah, he's done a lot. Uh, he's, I suppose, head cannon wise, you could say he maybe he didn't solve the EM field problem. He saw mm. it working for so many other species and he had the data right there. Yeah. Um, there's so many of the species that we're, we're going to discuss in our first contacts bit that had shields and had all these kind of things that maybe he took the sensor data and he's kind of like, oh, that's how they did that. And that's how they did this. So, you know, we could say that it's not really his innovation mm. that he's kind of stolen that idea from someone else. Um, but he was the first guy to steal it. Yeah, and I think that's the nat- that would be the nature of things, wouldn't it? You know, you'd pick up stuff as you went along. Mm-hmm. And I- I'm just thinking about another one. Did did he improve the um, um, the the whole plating and stuff and the whole? I think he did, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. Well, did, I mean, did they end up with um, 
with um, what's it called? I can't think. Polar polarizing the whole plating was that something new, or did they start with that? I can't remember. Now. I think they started with it. I think that was a that was a capability that they had in Broken Bow because there is one point where they say polarize the the whole plating, but there are times where he's. Uh, well, they, they've been doing their sciencey stuff and he's kind of said, oh, we could use that and strengthen the mm. hole or we could reinforce the hole. Again, Shuttlepod 1, the micro-singularities, yeah. um, they learn from that and they sort of reinforce that. Sleeping Dogs, even though he's the one being rescued, Trip is the one who reinforces yeah. all of the, the stuff with the caging around the, the Shuttlepod to, to reinforce it. Technically, I suppose, he's not the first person to fire one, but he does get involved with the first photon torpedoes that are ever used by Starfleet, yep. but they're Klingon photon torpedoes. So um, he doesn't build them, but he certainly learns about them or, or came over like a shot as soon as Hoshi said the word photon torpedoes. Um, so he was he was in there like a shot. So he was there. He was always there in the background. He's like the sinister villain in the thriller that you didn't realise <laughs> right. was there. Uh, but he definitely got to blow loads of stuff up as well. At least four times um, I've counted in the whole season where he blew something up personally. Um, and in other times he was even in the background then as well, uh, when Topol was blowing something up or somebody else was blowing something up. So he's always there. He's always he there. Is. What about um, the, tra- the the universal translator as well? Very true. Tech achievement. I mean, they they already had a UT before 2151. They have mentioned it, or they mentioned it in Broken Bow, that they've already had a translation circuit. But yes, absolutely. Hoshi does improve it uh, yeah. several times. There's several aliens again in this first contact where she will improve the design of that lingual code, the, the basic programming behind it. Um, she develops the mathematical UT yeah. with the with the Vox LR. So we've got yep, another tech achievement there. So I'm going to keep a note on that one. So UT does get developed, not invented, but definitely improved yeah, on. Yeah, developed, yeah. Yeah. So this is always something we can come back to when we're reviewing 2152 in yes. the, some future that we're going to go for. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I can't think of any other tech achievements Starfleet-wise. We've, no. seen, we've seen them use holograms, but they didn't invent them. Yep. Um, you know, target practice and whatnot. Yep. Um, but that was always someone else's technology. It was always another alien if they were improving on it or doing something like the Zerillians had their own version. Um, So they didn't really invent them, but they were using them. So someone else did the work. But other than that, I can't really think of anything tech-wise. No, I agree. Hmm. But I mean, it's an amazing amount of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the nature of early exploration is that you learn on the job. Yeah. But, you know, still, they, they, um, they certainly push things as far as they can absolutely which is a, a good aspect of the storytelling i mm. think one, an aspect that works there's a feeling of development definitely absolutely and it's sort of a real world parallel whenever you hear the stories of the international space station mm. and all the things they kind of figured out as they were going along like uh, the spacesuits used to leak the coolant that they would use to sort of keep them warm or when they're doing a pee in the spacesuit the containment area for that and at one point it broke and it started floating around inside the spacesuit so they developed the nappy the spaceman head nappy which is like a nappy that goes around the back of the neck to absorb any moisture that might come out of the suit so you know it's those little stories those we were the first people to live in space for an extended period of time and we figured this out that's exactly what the enterprise are doing based on all of this yeah Um, absolutely so, yeah, so I, I look forward to seeing what other innovations are going to come next year. Yes. But they've already invented so much, they could just sit back on their laurels and just ride on that, really. Absolutely. 
Um, speaking of riding on laurels and uh, getting your laurels, should we go for MVP next? Let's do it. Okay, Let's do it. so uh, most valuable crewman or most valuable person for just this year. So the events of just this year. I've struggled with this. I don't know about you. Yeah, I have a bit. I mean, my my glib and sort of uh, jokey fault is Porthos. <laughs> well, let's go through it. He's the first the first dog to step on an alien world, as far as we know. Yep. So that's pretty good. Uh, he oh god, what else has he done? He uh, was sort of you know keeping defence of all of Archer's uh, belongings when uh, the yep. uh, Ferengi were invading. Uh, he yep. was constantly going on that. He did get locked in a box, but at least he tried. That's the main thing. <laughs> but, yeah, Porthos should be in the running, I think, yeah. At least top yep. five, at least. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But being, being um, well, I don't know about serious, but being more serious for a moment, mm. I think my early shout is Hoshi. And it's funny that, because I always felt with Hoshi that I never felt that she got any development, really. And actually, coming back and rewatching, I think I'm, I'm 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 not sure about as we go forward beyond this point, but certainly up to this point, I think she she has a lot of development in lots of ways. Mm. She never gets a, quite enough sort of screen time and enough sort of, but you know, the, from from you know from um, back when she drops off the uh, the little worm thing. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which episode that was now, but. From there to the sort of where we are now, when um, you know she's she's a valuable member of the crew. So I think she's in with a shout. Mm-hmm. I think also um, Reed, with what we've just discussed, I ha- he has to be in with a shout. Mm. Um, and 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 to Paul as well. I mean, to Paul, I think maybe to Paul, rather than being the most valuable crew member, maybe she maybe has in some ways the biggest arc. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I think, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, yeah, so I think it's hard because other than sort of to poll Archer and Trip, and maybe Reed, most of the other crew don't get a lot of screen time. So it's very hard to sort of value what they do because um, you know we just never. I mean, like I haven't even mentioned um, Travis because you know. Travis. <laughs> Travis. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so he's got no chance, a poor man, you know. Nope. But then he's been, you know, he's been piloting the ship and the shuttles and all sorts of stuff. So he's, you know, he's been really important as well. Exactly. So, but he just gets no no recognition at all, you know, <laughs> the poor man. Um, so I'm sort of thinking Hoshi because I think when you think about it, you know, her ability to communicate is so vital. Mm-hmm. It's so vital. If they weren't able to communicate as well as they do, and they had their problems as well, but equally that you know, then where would they be? They would be absolutely stuck. You know, they'd they'd be this sort of floating ship that with no with no ability to sort of communicate and stuff. So she's really important, I think. Um, so I think I'm going to go for Hoshi. Yeah, I I, I think I'm going to have to agree with you because. With Fight and Flight, which is the second episode of the season, third episode of this year, if you're doing it temporal trek route, um, if she couldn't communicate with the Axanar, the Enterprise would have been lost there and then. Second episode, that's it. The the mission's over. 
And it was all down to her communication ability. And that's something they even explicitly say in the episode that as, as important as trip is to fix the engines, as important as Reed is to, you know, polarize the hope plating and, and completely protect them. Hoshi, if she can't talk to people, what's the point in exploration? They're not going to yeah. do anything. Um, and if they can't talk to their enemies and try and ward them off, they can't do anything. Uh, it really does come down to her. Yes. Reed is very important technically because he is he's invented or been involved in so many technical achievements that have been going on and i suppose to to an extent trip comes with that because he can build it whatever yeah. he's trying to do even though reed does invent and use the em fields without trip's assistant trip is incapacitated by by the alien yeah. um so he does he's able to do it without help sometimes as well Flox would have been my third shout maybe like third mm. up on the lifting because again if they get sick who's going to help them out but the doctor and again to paul she is you know the reasonable argument she's the one who's always pointing out their shortcomings um but my number five like the the fifth fifth less uh valuable crew member uh, in the same vein of as porthos it's lieutenant hess uh without her <laughs> without her we don't fix the doors so um she is probably the most important uh, engineer on the ship because, you know, Trip is always off doing something wrong and getting people pregnant or getting himself pregnant. Um, <laughs> Lieutenant Hess seems to be doing all the work as far as I can tell from uh, from this year as well. But yeah, you, it, it's got to be Hoshi, isn't it? You know who we've forgotten, don't you? <gasps> the Quartermaster. Quartermaster. Oh, no, oh, no this changes the whole list now. <laughs> uh, right, Quartermaster. Yeah, that's true. I mean... If he didn't build those uh, those suits, the yeah. the suits for civilization, they wouldn't have blended in, and they would have been lost. So, you know, again, not as important as Hoshi because she got it in episode two. But at least eight episodes later, if the quartermaster isn't there, that's it. Kaput. Ooh, that's a good shout. I think <laughs> we're gonna have to look out for quartermaster in the future yep. season, future episodes. But yeah, Hoshi, <laughs> it's got to be Hoshi, isn't it? Really, really, when we I really think, think so. about it. Yeah. Um, any other thing? Any other shout outs for MP MVPs? Well, I think I mean Hoshi. Building on why Hoshi, I mean you know, Trip and and Reed, they do like important things at mm -hmm. certain points. Yeah, but Hoshi is every day. You know, it must be every. Well, maybe not every day, but you know, what I mean every every situation mm -hmm. they need her. Yeah. Whereas with like Trip, he's you know he's looking after the Walk Five engine, so that's important. You know, but. The Walk Five engine's there, and he's maintaining it. And Reed is sort of pushing along with with weapons technology and stuff. But basically, you know, whereas Hoshi, every time they come across a new species, she's vital. So I think you know, it's really weird because I, I would never have said Hoshi if you had mm -hmm. asked me before I started rewatching. Mm -hmm. I would never would have said Hoshi. Um. But now, yeah, I think it's Hoshi. Yeah, I think she's yeah. she's key. I mean, it's yeah. interesting we haven't spoken about Archer. I yeah. mean, the captain, and we haven't spoken about Archer. Mm -hmm. you know, maybe that's a question for why that is. You know, very true. And I think um, I don't think there's a there's a, a legitimate shout for for Archer to be most valuable. He's sort of he obviously he's important because he you know he head he's the head of the ship and all that sort of stuff, but. You know, you could you could pick. I mean, like in a later episode, I think they talk about how they <clears throat> they might have chosen a different captain, and mm. you know, and I think um, there's another episode where the Vulcans say, you know, you should never have picked Archer, you should have picked so and so. You know, mm -hmm. so 
Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because like, if you think about, I think if again without rewatching, but if you think about maybe like TOS, TNG, even sort of you know DS, all of them really, the mm-hmm. captain plays a not a much bigger role because Archer is you know in in the episodes all the time, but mm. seems to play a more important role maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. That's interesting. I don't know whether that was again a, maybe a, you know, maybe a sort of a, a a thought out idea. You know, that it wouldn't be about the captain. Mm-hmm. The show mm-hmm. would be much more somp- ensemble classed, you know, and it would be you know much more sort of development of, of other characters and stuff. But certainly, I think you know that sets it apart from other series. I think. Mm. No, yeah. I mean, the the choice to leave isn't i mean as much as he was pushing it and trying to get that agenda going and trying to push humanity into the stars and um and get his father's walk fired engine out there it's only by luck by chance that that the Sulaban chased kang onto earth and they needed to take him back home um yeah all right maybe archer did a little bit of pushing and digging and said look we've got a ship we can do it ourselves yep. but what if Captain Gardner, the guy that they mentioned and wanted instead, had said the exact same thing? Um, he's very infamous. He's done a lot of things to destabilise the yes. sector, as the Vulcans have said. He's done a lot of infamous things, but not necessarily the right thing, not necessarily yeah. uh, a good thing for the future of Starfleet. He's, he's made a lot of enemies where maybe he yeah. shouldn't have done. Maybe yeah. he was a little bit more blustery than he should have been, a bit more diplomatic where he should have been. Um yeah, there's there's a lot of uncertainty, I suppose, that comes from Archer. Whereas Hoshi definitely did A, B, and C. She, you know, mm. improved the lingua lingua code here. She definitely saved the ship because she was able to talk to the Axanar. She definitely communicated with an unfamiliar non-bipedal alien species for the presumably the first time as well. Um, there are so many things that they couldn't do without Hoshi. Yeah, yeah, she wins. There you go. She wins. So 2151 is the year of Hoshi for now. Um, I'm, I really want to see how the year plays out because 2152, as far as I know, goes through uh, season one into season two. And then sort of midway through season two, we're going to do another one of these. So this will probably be mid-year next year uh, as far as re- recording. I'd like to see if Hoshi is able to at least stay in the top five. She may not be top, top one, but you never know. Uh, so talking about characters... Yep. development where did they start and where did they end up are there any characters that you really enjoyed the development of and maybe some unexpected surprises there just like in our mvp well i think we have to look at hoshi again you know hoshi was terrified you know she was the classic sort of you know scared um crew member i mean she played an important role in that that i think she was she was the character that that was the the antidote to all these sort of macho bra, you know, sort of go to the stars. It's all going to be great. And she, she played an important role in the storytelling, I think. Mm. So again, Hoshi is, is very important and she goes a long way, you know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm so bad on the details, you know, but I know at one point, you know, um, to Paul says, you know, I picked you for this, this, this mission because, you know, you're the, you're the right person. You're, you're good. You're, you know, I think it might only have been sleeping dogs. Yeah, you know, so 
you know, to go from where she was, where with the, with the little worm thing, and you know, and being sort of, you know, every time the ship moved, she sort of, you know, <laughs> to where she ends up in twenty fifty, the end of twenty one fifty one is is remarkable. And then, but then I think um, Interpol, in some ways, does the same thing. She what she does, I think, is she she starts off as I don't know. She starts off quite as a typical Vulcan. But we certainly think of her as a typical Vulcan. I think, mm-hmm. you know, right from the start, she's not. But and she ends up really integrating with the crew, you know, leaving um, the science directorate and stuff and the high the high command to to stay with the crew. You know, she comes a long way as well. So I think mm-hmm. those two for me, again, Archer is a funny one because Archer sort of, I don't think he really changes that much. No. What Archer does is he changes episode to episode. <laughs> Rather than changing over time, he you know he sort of behaves in the way that fits the episode. Yes, I think Reed is pretty consistent. You know, he's pretty much Reed. Yeah, he <laughs> wants to weird. blow stuff up. That's it. Yeah, wants to blow stuff up and just yeah. sort of you know. And I think um, and Trip again does the same sort of thing. I think Trip is very consistent. Mm. Um, so I think yeah, Topol and and um, and. Um, Hoshi, probably. I mean, Travis. Yeah, poor old Travis. I mean, who knows? We see him for about 10 minutes, so who knows what he does. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I guess there's the episode Fortunate Son. Yeah. Is it Fortunate Son? Fortunate Son. Um, um, so, yes. So, with, with Travis, there's there's not much development. He does get an episode or two yep. to do something. Uh, and that is something that might play into our stats in a, in a moment's time. Um, nothing we've like explicitly looked for, but when you really think about it, he's tragically, tragically left behind by the rest of the crew. Um, Phlox is really difficult, mm-hmm. I, I thought. When, when you think of character storylines, um, when he starts, he's the optimistic yep. medical doctor who has some unusual techniques. And by the time 2151 ends, he's the medical doctor with some unusual techniques, who's also, all right, admittedly, a dentist, uh, a surgeon, vet. psychiatrist, vet. Um, he's a cosmetic surgeon as well, so he can do all kinds of cosmetic surgery as well as uh, apply makeup. Um, so, yeah, I suppose he's got a lot of tools in his belt, but he already had that before 2151 started. So, yeah, yeah Flox, as much as I love him, yeah. Didn't really do much this season or this no, year. He's a funny one because he? he's always around. Mm. As you say, actually, sort of as far as development goes, mm. I don't think he changes very much, and that's that's interesting in its own way, I suppose. Mm. Why is that? You know, because I, I wonder whether you know John Billingsley just got the character so well right from the word go that you know he sort of he hit it, you know. Mm. So, because we sort of he does that, I think we we would have seen development if he mm. hadn't quite hit the mark mm. as an actor early on, and then sort of you know over a bit of time sort of developed into this more rounded character. But he just hits it right from the off. Very true. And maybe yeah. that's you know that's that's where why we don't see development as such because. There's lots of screen time. There's lots of interactions, you know. But as you say, he starts off as he finishes. Really, mm. he already had the the best Star Trekian outlook on life, so he doesn't have to you know develop it or lose it. Um, he doesn't have to change his opinions on yeah. the world. 
Um, yeah. The episode where he, he looked like they were going to give him some sort of character work, um, it was uh, ferried off as a yeah. B-plot in Cold Front. Um, the only time where he might have questioned what he was going yes. to do um, in um, uh, Dear Doctor, he was still his own self. Yes. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew his ethical standing and he knew where he should uh, come down in the argument. It was just a case of whether the captain was going to go ahead with his recommendation or not. It really wasn't a development for him. He already knew what the answer should be. Yeah. But now it was the tough decision for Archer. Mm. Um, yeah. So as as wonderful as Flox is, there's nowhere for him to go this year because he's still still the amazing Flox that we love. Yeah. Which I've. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. It's interesting that actually that means that the two characters who saw the most development, if we're thinking of it that way, are the two female characters. Which is interesting because of what we've talked about with the way that the female actresses and characters are treated in the, in the show. It's interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's odd. And and I don't know whether it's an unintentional mm-hmm. consequence of the, of the season that because of the two roles that the two female characters have, how important they are, their outlook on life um, because of the nature of the show does change because... Hoshi is a linguist and she will meet so many more characters. Of course, she's going to change. She's going to yeah. adapt with all the cultures that are going to come her way. And Topol is of yeah. a different culture, but living yeah. with a different culture. And so yeah. she will change as well. Whereas all the other guys um, are, are men and they are living in their own culture, not really needing to mm. change themselves, but changing what yeah. they're working with, You know, the technology that they're working with. Um, mm. I, yeah, uh, I'm not totally sure what that means. No, no, really. I guess Flox is the only one that stands out from that, you know. Well, you're right, but mm. with Flox, I think what Flox feels, what, what role he feels, is this experienced intergalactic, I don't know what the right word is, intergalactic citizen. You know, he's lived on Earth. Mm, he's lived mm, in other mm. on other planets. He's got you know degrees in exobiology, and you know he's a he's like a like what I suppose the equivalent of a, of a citizen of the world in the in the sort of mid twenty first century, twenty second century. Um, and so he is very comfortable in his in his skin in that way, whereas Topol comes from a culture mm. less human. In a way, okay. Flox yeah. is sort of like a mm. Flox is like a a human turned up, mm-hmm. um, whereas mm-hmm. Topol is a human turned down in some ways. I suppose you could argue, you know. So she has to sort of yeah. come up to meet the humans, whereas Flox is sort of like yeah. the old, you know, a, a, the ultimate human, if that makes sense in a way. Or I don't know quite what the word, right way of explaining it, but he, mm. you know, he's so sort of comfortable in his skin he's so sort of gregarious and you know that he just fits in beautifully you know wherever mm. he wherever he ends up sort of thing you know he could end up on a i mean yeah. i'm not sure about a vulcan ship but certainly you know anywhere else really he would probably just sort of fit, fit in quite nicely whereas mm, so topol has much further to go to reach a sort of equilibrium with with the human ship or the humans on the ship mm. um and maybe that's what we're seeing. Hmm. I suppose, again, thinking temporarily, um, Flox is the only character you could pluck out of this and stick in the 24th mm. century, and he would be 
absolutely comfortable. His his outlook is yes. the future. The humans aren't quite there yet. And as we've seen in some of the episodes, they're still not quite comfortable with him. You know, they still they haven't quite matched up to his optimism, perhaps. And then to Paul, whose culture at this point, the Vulcans are even more isolationist than we see in TOS. And eventually, you know, they, they sort of chill out yeah. by the 31st century, as we're seeing with Discovery, um, as they are embracing their emotions far more. You know, that's a thousand year um, trip for them. Uh, that they've got to take and, and sort of adapt their way of thinking. Not necessarily saying that the human way yeah. is right, but they actively suppress something yeah. about themselves. So they're kind of coming up to an yeah. emotional level. The humans are already at an emotional level, but not a mature yeah. level. And then Flox yes. is already mature and emotional at the same time. Absolutely. No, I think, Maybe. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think that's, yeah, it's really interesting. And, and um, <laughs> it just, it's so interesting that, that you know, we're watching this sort of <clears throat> this sort of show, which is just sort of entertainment, you know, just a you know a bit of yeah, fun. Absolutely. And yet, you know, we can dive <laughs> into this and, and get all this sort of out of it that I would be amazed if this is what the, the writers were thinking. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The, the writers were like, Oh god, what do we have yeah, exactly, this week? Yeah. Uh just put a grenade in yeah. Reed's hand, uh Trip's gonna figure out something, um to pulse says something illogical. Yeah. There we go, there we go. But it's so it's such a rich <laughs> You know, rich thing, but I think, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Perfect. Mm. I would just, I, I wonder, like, um, how much uh, this is us as well, looking mm. back. You know, it, was this apparent at the time? Was this something that people, when they saw this show first coming out, I'm always worried that I'm looking at it with a 2021 sensibility. Yeah. That isn't 2000 and the same way that I'm going to be worried about watching the yeah. TOS era, which is even further removed from me. Um, you know, am I going to look at things differently? Are you going to look at things differently? Uh, every guest that we get on this show because of how far removed or close they may be to the release of this show, how are they going to react? Are they going to see things the same way we do? So yeah, it's just it's it's fascinating to me. I love this. It's brilliant. Um, at the end of the the fifty years it's going to take to finish this podcast, um, I think I might release a book and then I'll just float on that, and that, yep. that'll be it. Um, Absolutely. But there we go. Um, but yeah, that's characters, character storylines. Um, right, first contacts. We're going to do bits of stats, I think, really now, and look at you know the nitty gritty of what they got up to uh, twenty one fifty one, from April all the way up to December thirty first on that year. Uh, so first contacts, uh, we're going to go just bad or promising okay. good um, as the as the rating. So the first uh, real first contact is with the Klingon. He's unconscious, but he's with the Klingon. So really, that's the first one. So Klingon, bad or promising? Bad. Oh, okay. Interesting. I went for okay. promising in that there's nothing overtly aggressive about what they do. They they deliver him. Oh, so okay. I, I figured it's Sorry, promising. right. Okay. I'm thinking... But it could be bad. It could be bad. That's no, no. I, I, maybe I'm thinking. I, I thought you meant what you know. So we met the Klingons. What what sort of happened? You know what what? Oh, sure, sure, um, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, we could do it that way. I don't mind. So I, I guess yeah. I mean, yes, it's a good first contact. In well, it's a good first contact because they they save the guy, take him back to Kronos, and save save the Empire mm -hmm. effectively. Um, mm -hmm. But <clears throat> you could argue. That it's a bad first contact because they completely ignore cultural um, 
Ooh, you know, yeah. stuff about the Klingons and stuff, which is a good job because it would have mm. led to a nightmare. But, you know, again, with a Very prime true. directive, although I'm not sure the prime directive would quite apply, but with sort of more, what would they have done? I think bad because, you know, they don't have a good relationship with the Klingons. But, you know, mm-hmm. they, they don't, they don't, um, they don't manage to sort of smooth the waters with the Klingons until maybe DS9 mm. sometime, you know, really, you know, when they, when they sort of mm. work together against the Dominion, maybe that, you know, up to that Very point, true. it's always, I, I think in TNG, it's maybe not quite as, as sort of antagonistic, but, you know, up to that point, it basically mm. is. Mm. Mm. So that's, yeah, that was what I was sort of, you know, it ends up being, Oh yeah. That- being bad that's it that that's it is we've literally got good or bad as the option but you know what if there is a middle ground you just never know that's the thing uh suliban the cabal i'm making a distinction here so the cabal version of the suliban good or bad definitely yeah 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 they're shooting at each other so it's got to be bad first contact um uh then we go into uh I'm going to lump two enemies together. Basically, the fight or flight enemies, which we never really find out who they are, and the silent enemy ones that came much later in the season. Uh, but again, we don't really know who they are, other than that they um, might have something to do with pineapples, according to our episode. It's difficult to say with these ones, isn't it? Because we don't really, you know, there's no, as far as I know, there's no further contact. So there's no sort of setup of of how they react to us or the humans. Mm-hmm. Um I suppose it's bad because you know they turn up and they're they're hanging people from the ceiling. That's not ideal for for a first contact. I mean, again, that's not that's sort of the first contact with that species, rather than the you know. So that first contact is really good because they help mm. you know, they help to sort of bring back the bodies. Um, so that's a really positive first contact. I mean, it's an unfortunate situation, but they mm. they they do really well with that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I suppose. It's hard to tell on that one because, you know, the Klingons are really easy and the Sudaban as well because, you know, they move forward and they interact with them more. So you can see what happened mm-hmm. got following that, that first contact. These guys are much harder, really. So I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah. I think for that, I think with the two aliens that we never really learn about, the silent enemy ones and the fight and flight um, uh, ones, I went bad because they're yeah. shooting at us. Again, that was the only reason that I went for bad. But the Axanar, the ones we eventually find out about uh, who live for 400 years, I'm going to go promising even good because, um, you know, they went to their homeworld and they spent some time with them. So that's got to be good. The fact that they didn't sort of just, you know, push them away and say, look, you're involved in a really horrible incident. We don't really want to know the humans. That's it. But no, they got to know them. So that's good. Um, Next is the Zerillians. Good or bad or a little bit too horny. (laughs) Um, good because they helped them there was obviously a decent I think with a like a a slightly icky ending (laughs) it went slightly (laughs) wrong I think um, yes there would be there would be um, what's the word I'm looking for Um, there'd be consequences for that wouldn't there I think that she'd be in trouble put it that way and trip trip grows yes so you know, <laughs> so I think they, uh, I think if they bumped yeah. into them again, they'd get on all right though. 
Yes, very true. So it's a promising start, and they could probably, you know, say, "Oh, you know, yeah. how's the baby doing?" Um, you know, there's there's a conversation yeah. there. Um, uh, the Andorians are next as our next first contact. Well, again, long term, very good. Obviously, mm-hmm. very good. They've become, mm-hmm. you know, founder members of the of the um, the federation. Initially, pretty good as well. I have to say, with a bit of a dip in between. You know, there's all that sort of stuff. They, they, they've got the Andorians and particularly Shran are such an interesting character because mm-hmm. he's antagonistic all the way through, really. But it's more to do with the way he is. Yeah. I think he really respects Archer, and he, you know, and he sort of, and he, he sort of says, "Oh, I don't want to be in your debt and stuff." But I think that again is maybe personality more than sort of anything else, and. But underneath, mm. there's a there's a great deal of respect, clearly, you know, and and um, but there's always that sort of, you know, he, he, I think later on in season three, you know, they nick, they nick the um, weapon, you know, the, and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. there's a, they, they always sort of they're never quite, what's the word? Um, they're, they're a weird one because they are friends. But they're sort of frenemies, yeah. if <laughs> for one of you know, yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> they're, 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 Yes. Yeah. No. I, I get you. Yeah. So it's it doesn't get cemented here as a good relationship. Um, the the fact that uh, that in that first episode with the Andorian incident, that Archer gives him a first bit of yeah. trust that the olive branch of giving him the yep. scans of uh, Pajem, um, I, I took that as a yep. promising start because. Uh, it, it really puts the Andorians on the back foot. It's like, yes. why are they helping us? They work for the Vulcans or they work yeah. with the Vulcans. Um, so I, I took it as a good yeah. start, even though it might necessarily, it's going to be a long road it with is. this relationship, getting getting from there to here. So yes, absolutely. It, in the future, it might get more antagonistic, but as far as first contacts yeah. go, I think it's a pretty yeah. good one. I mean, Archer's kidneys might disagree <laughs> because they took a couple of punches, but there we go. Um then we've got uh, our first episode together, uh, the civilization, uh, the two species we meet there, the yep. Akali and the Malorians, the, the bad guys. So the Akali first, good first contact. Was it a first contact? Well, exactly. I was just going to say, I don't think it counts as first contact. I think mm-hmm. it counts more as alien invasion. No, <laughs> <laughs> it counts more as sort of, as, I think, was it in this one that she talked about landing in a field and stuff? Landing in a yeah, yes. so I think that counts more as sort of um, I don't know what you'd call that um, uh, alien. Well, it'd be a UFO, yeah, UFO story. Yeah. It'd be like a yeah. So I don't think yeah. it's the Akali's yes. Men in Black. So I don't think it counts as first contact, <laughs> but as far as it goes, yeah, it's good. Obviously, yeah, very true, very true. Uh, the Malorians, though, however, bad. Clearly, as you say, bad. they end up shooting at each other quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I think bad. Did we miss somebody? Did we miss the um, the people on on the ones that live in the caves? Oh, Terra Nova. Yes, I do have I do have the Novans on there, but I left them at the bottom okay. of the list because are we kind of classing that as a first contact? That was okay. going to be well, the. We're, we're is this even a then. first contact okay. situation? That's okay. Um, uh, as far as like a established species, we got next uh the valakians and the mech oh, yeah. so another double yep. species in one episode so uh the valakians really the first people um promising bad 
indifferent. This is a tough one, isn't it? Because mm. they don't do what they wanted them to do, but mm-hmm. maybe they do the right thing. Mm-hmm. So I think from their point of view, it would be a bad first contact. From our point of view, we're seeing the beginnings again of, of the the prime directive and stuff and, and the sort of, and, and seeing the dealing with the sort of conundrums that the intergalactic travel throws up. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, it's a difficult one. I think, I, I, I think it would depend mm. from what point of view you're looking at it. Yeah. And for the Menk, I think yeah. it's a good first contact because we, we don't set them on the way, but we enable them to go you know what we we can assume is their their sort of destiny as such um so that's mm, a good first mm. contact for the mink again um yeah yeah so i mean i think i guess there's the issue around um the prime what would be the prime directive the way they interfere with the culture so yeah. again looking yeah. maybe if you were if you were a starfleet um cadet in the academy in sort of 2400 or something it might be looked back on as as a bad first contact because mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. looking now you know they didn't have the prime director they didn't sort of do it you know so again it's a it's a very difficult one i think you know which which you'd hope really you would hope it wouldn't be quite so simple as to say good or bad because that would suggest pretty poor storytelling really you know? yeah. Um, yeah and so yeah the staff Starfleet Academy don't, you know, don't go into nuance. They just want to say, look, this is what you do. This is what you don't do. Done. Yeah. But I think what we're seeing again mm. is, is, again, that's an interesting point. I mean, early, early Starfleet finding their way. They haven't got the protocols in place. So you're seeing like different um, outcomes and different sort of ways things go every week. Mm-hmm. You know. Whereas I think yeah. in, in, when you look at TNG, you know, there's, it was quite, I suppose, formulaic. You know, they'd, they'd land on the planet, there'd be an issue, they'd resolve it. And that sort of happens mm-hmm. with Enterprise, but a little bit more messy, a little bit less sort yeah. of... They're, they're a little bit less sure than, than Picard when he goes down. You know, he, he knows what's got to be done and how things are done and stuff, whereas these guys are, are coming in much more sort of they're sort of feeling their way. They're trying to find a a way to make things work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with this one, the next one, yeah. I didn't know if it classes as a, as a first contact again. These are the Norsicans. Okay. Now, as far as we know, it's not the humanity's first encounter with the Norsicans because um, Travis has already told us that they've been raiding. Travel, yeah. uh, you know, um, uh, all kinds of yeah. uh, ships and trading vessels for ages. So the first really contact for the Enterprise, I guess, officially with Starfleet, is in this year. Uh, Norsicans, good uh, or bad? Although, again, although you know, the, the guy's captured, isn't he? And and they they release him. But yeah. I don't think we ever get good relations with the Norsicans. Really, I don't think that, that they're always they're 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 very underused. They're always around, but they're always sort of antagonistic. I think it's just their, their nature. Yeah. So I suppose you could say good because if if the Norsicans were of a different sort of temperament, they might see that as as you know as a as a good thing. But they wouldn't 
you know, they just want their man back. They don't care. They're not going to, it's not going to change yeah. the way they feel about, you know, these puny sort of humans and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's, again, it's a, it's a difficult one. Yeah. And it's also, who are we dealing with? Are we dealing with the Norsecans as a race or as yeah. a government? You know, if, if they uh, contacted Norsecans, uh, because you know we've had to run in with your pirates. Well, what their government is saying was not necessarily what these Norsecans are saying. Um, so you know it may be because they dealt with the Norsecans in a way that was not um, yeah. final. That it may have opened up Earth's communication with Norsecans to try and deal with the pirate situation. You never know. Uh, but again, that's never explicitly said, so we just can't say it. I, I did it bad because there was a lot of fighty, fighty, shoot, shoot, pew, pews. So there we go. Um, that is the, the level of my uh, rating system there. Um, now, these ones are interesting. Uh, the Corrid- Corridanians. Now, these are the guys who oh, run yep. the planet that Archer and Tapoa are kidnapped yep. on on Shadows yep. of Pajem. Now, it's not explicitly done as a first contact, hmm. but it's the first time they've met them. So... Did it go well? I mean, were the inept government who didn't really want to help Archer be rescued uh, a good first contact? No, I don't think so. Because, mm. again, I think um, we've got that strange thing where actually in this one we do make contact with the government, don't we? They have a discussion and, and they, they, you know, they're saying you won't get your people back and they're terrorists and all that sort of stuff. So, <clears throat> and we go, they go against that. So I think that's the negative first contact um, for the government. Mm. I'm trying to think about the the guys on the planet. I don't think it mm. works out very well from them either. And of course, they abduct Archer and Topol. You know, Darling. which I guess you know. Yeah. We we can we criticise that because you know that's just what happens. You know, perhaps it's part of the, the contract. You have to do that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's like, oh, Archer's yeah. coming, right? Uh, we need a kidnap yep. party. Uh, we need to make it That's as right, icky yeah. as possible. So yeah. off you go. We need Daniel. to understand his physiology <laughs> so we can really hurt him when we punch him. <laughs> the kidneys are there. <laughs> oh. um, then we've got, uh, after the uh, Corridanians, we have the uh, Ferengi, oh. we think. Okay. We're not entirely sure. Is that a good, bad, <laughs> promising situation That's bad isn't it really they come onto the ship yeah they abduct archer well <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we we, we again get the better of them of course um but Very again true. is that is that well it's a first contact isn't it but again you know they're, they're not like they're not anything to do with the government as far as we know they're nothing official mm-hmm. you know they're just a bunch of pirates basically um so yeah. again is, does that really count as for and of course we don't know who they are bizarrely yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, what counts as first contact? Is it, you know, is it literally, you know, coming down to the planet like we do on um, on, on um, civilization? Is that enough to, mm-hmm. to class as a first contact, or do we? Does it have to be an official contact with the government, or does it have to at least be something that the the government or the whatever you you know the the authorities know about? and Mm. so in that case we haven't had first contact with a Ferengi and in fact I don't know maybe we don't get first contact with a Ferengi till DS9 very true because on TNG they're they're not again they don't appear to be sort of sanctioned official sort of you know yeah 
Mm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one because we know that there is an, a, a strong history with this species. We know that we are going to see them again. Um, we also know that the humans have met them before in the 1940s. So, you know, was that first contact officially? And, that, and this really isn't. You know, it's the first contact for Starfleet, technically, uh, in that it's literally the first time they meet them. But, you know, it's it's very difficult with some of these ratings of, like, you know, um, does first contact have to be an official process you go through? Uh, does there have to be an ambassador involved, for instance? But there we go. Um, we've got, now, we've got a species that we never met as the audience but the crew got to know quite well and in fact they gave lieutenant a hess uh, quite a headache having to build the doors uh the tesnians we never met them they breathed different oxygen uh it was in shuttle pod one oh, yes they were on board because they uh they crashed into enterprise uh they crashed into enterprise it was a tragedy um apparently some of them were killed in the accident uh but they the enterprise took them home so good or bad good i think yeah, I mean, obviously, it was not a great, you know, it wasn't the perfect way to meet. But the humans, mm -hmm. the, the Starfleet, they, they, you know, react to that and help them out and stuff. So, yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then we've got another double species first contact, sort of. Uh, the hunters, the hunter species and the wraith, the slug monster that uh, um, the archer sort of gets a a dream woman a, a blonde lady to to come and meet him who turns out to be a slug uh good or bad with the hunters first bad yeah bad i mean it's a really weird one because it's at the start it's a very good contact you know and, and reed obviously mm. can't wait to go off and shoot stuff and you know they sort of get on pretty well but in the end you know obviously they 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 make their life well they make their hunting harder so yeah bad yeah, I mean, the those hunters going to badmouth yeah. Starfleet? You know, they got yeah. in the way of the hunt. Is that going to be a big cultural problem later on? Uh, and the wraith themselves, the slugs. I think this is possibly the best one. I mean, you know, mm. what more could you, you know, you've, you've saved the species effectively, you know. Very true. I think, you know, and yeah, so I think fantastic, basically. No. Very cool. Uh, and another double whammy after that uh, is in Vox Solar Cretassens. Uh, so Cretassens, now we know they're going to come back in another year, but was it a good first contact? No. It was the shortest yeah, one according right. to Trip. Yeah, that, we know the answer to that. It didn't go overly well, did it? Let's be honest. You know, no. Eating things and stuff like that. I mean, it's just not on, is it? <laughs> All the humans were having sex in the mess hall. Uh, no, no, they were eating. Oh, oh, well, fair enough. I mean, okay. what's interesting about that one is when you, you flip it and think about, you know, how difficult it must be for the Cretaceans. God, I'm, I'm saying Cretaceans. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you, you. Paul. The <laughs> to, um to, to deal with this stuff, you know, to meet other races and other species. Mm. Because, you know, they, they, they're, they're so easily offended that you'd think they wouldn't even... You'd think actually that they wouldn't bother because mm -hmm. it'd be like all oh, these people, they're awful, these people out, you know. Why don't we bother talking to these people? <laughs> all of them are just horrible. You know. So was there ever like a Cretassian Twitter? I mean, did they just take yeah. it too far? Exactly, yeah. I mean, you know, so I don't think that's a good good first contact at all. And in fact, funny enough, I reviewed the next meeting uh, in an, on another podcast. 
Of course, and, and yes. That doesn't go overly well either. <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you, so I think yeah, difficult. Without, I mean, it, mm. again, I suppose in some ways, well, it is bad, but you know, it's not. I suppose the only mitigating thing is that by no means did, did at any point did they mean to did they sort of decide to um, make the, the the relationship more difficult. They didn't sort of antagon you know mm. they didn't mean to antagonize. They didn't you know so you know in a, in one way it should have been a good contact because they didn't do anything awful, but yep. they yeah. just it didn't work out you know. Yeah, and and how many of these sort of situations will come up in the future? You know, how many ambassadors will inadvertently offend a culture, not to the point of yeah. war or outright conflict, but it now means we've got months and months of kowtowing and apologising and you know adjusting to the culture yeah. again. Um, you know, how much damage yeah. did it do? Um, Travis did seem to sort of make up for it in the episode, but I am agreeing with you. I think it yeah. is a bad one. Um, the fact that they didn't get a little download of specs saying, look, just don't eat in front of them. That's all you've got to do. That's literally the numero uno is you're going to take them for dinner. Don't eat in front of them. Just have the food sitting on the plate and just don't do anything. Um, Paul would love that, actually. Speaking of Paul again, uh, Paul Wright, uh, he doesn't like people talking and eating at the same time in these episodes. So yeah. that's perfect. Just don't eat in front of the Cretassins. Um, the Vox Solar, because we don't really find out what the no. name of the species is. The the um the weird wispy wormy character. Good. Very good in fact. But with a bit of a dodgy mm. middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the end it worked out really well and you know they couldn't do any more than what they did. Um but you know they had that sort of time when when Tapol and, and Reed were like, let's just kill it, just blow it up, you know. <laughs> you know, and all that sort of stuff. And and you know, but it ended up really well. So yeah, very good. And and I think um something that we see right through in Star Trek is that, you know, the humans, I think, always try to do the right thing. And they're yeah. doing that there. You know, they're, they're taking a sort of species that, you know, is so alien and could easily be sort of misunderstood totally. And, and sort of, and in fact, they are misunderstood to begin with, you know, in, sort of in the middle of the episode mm. until Hoshi manages to start communicating, really. They're, they're, they don't quite know what's happening. They, you know, they've... And um, but they end up doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the last two that I've got are now again. It comes back to some of the things we've been talking about. Who are the representatives of that race? The Sulaban, just the Sulaban from Detained, not the Cabal, not the government. Almost the outliers, yeah. the ones who aren't sponsored by their government. Uh, the prisoners, the Sulaban prisoners. Um, uh, and again with that you've also got um uh, the tandors the tandorans um uh, who are entertained as well um you know that was a bad first contact i, I, I can't yeah. say that i'm, I'm going to go good on that one uh, they were shooting at each other at the end so uh, that's going to be a bad one uh, but also the sulaban as well so the the sulaban who were detained and released possibly to become soldiers again we never really get the, the resolve on that so uh, on these last two uh, sulaban really good you know, right again, yeah. right from the start. Although they, you know, I think Travis looks out from the sort of peeks out through the door and they're, they're there and he's thinking, oh no, what's happening and stuff. But as soon as they understand the situation, they they accept the Sudaban, 
they're open to understanding them. Um, and again, I think in Desert Crossing, I don't, again, I think that maybe is next year, but mm-hmm. um, th- one of the reasons the guy seeks them out is because he's heard about them releasing, I think it's, it ends up being 250 or something, you know, by the time mm-hmm. he gets to him. But yes, it's definitely positive. And, you know, again, sort of a very typical Star Trek response, you know, to, to sort of save mm-hmm. the week. And to, to, to help yeah. the weak and obviously bad with the other guys because as you say they you know they break out their prisoners and <laughs> they end up having a firefight so yeah it doesn't really go overly well that one yeah and that is with the state government yeah. i mean that it may be through the representative yeah. uh by dean stockwell but it is you know 100 these this government is trying to sweep under the rug that they are detaining yeah. these sulaban um so yeah there we go so to go back to uh something we mentioned earlier the, the terranovans is it first contact when it is a formerly human society? I think it is first contact because I think the society has changed so radically that effectively it's an it's a it's a different it's certainly contact with a society, a first contact with a society. Clearly it's mm-hmm. not first contact with a species. Um because True. True. You know, I mean it's almost like Amazonian Indians or something, you know, and Amazonian native Amazonians that, you know, that mm-hmm. are isolated from society. And we come across, you know, someone walks through the jungle and finds it's that sort of thing rather than being a, a species. So I think it is a first contact mm. with a society. Mm. And I think, yeah, good, really. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it certainly yeah. ends up that way. The, the Terranovans didn't seem to want to have contact. They thought that they were actually coming to kill them. Um, it, it could have so easily gone far worse. It did kind of slip into the whole trope of, we saved one of your society, therefore you're good guys now. Um, you know, you're okay. Uh, but there is a cultural difference. It's got all the hallmarks of a first contact. It, just DNA-wise, they just happen to also be yeah. human. Um, they are descended from humans. Um, you know, it's the same way that in uh, Fortunate Son, we don't count that as a first contact even though they are not starfleet they are running a freighter um they are all humans but you know we don't count that as a first contact because they have uh, a lot of uh back and forth with the human government um but it still has some of the hallmarks it still has that there's a cultural aspect to living on these freighters for years on end that they don't live in the same society travis was that bridge so at least they had that uh, but they didn't have that for the uh, for the Terranovans. And that's it. But that's a lot of first contacts. That in total is 22 separate incidents of first contact in a 23-episode wow. year. So that's pretty damn good for me, for there. Um, and that's even with the bottle episode inside a shuttle pod. They still had a first contact with, with some aliens. Um, right. From all of that, protocols that might be drafted up um i've got my own things and i think people can guess what my number one was but uh i'll I'll throw it to you dan what do you think from this year starfleet learnt and would draw up from this year i think we are i don't know if starfleet have quite learnt yet but they're certainly learning about the the prime directive i don't think Mm -hmm. they've quite got there but they're learning that i think um one of your pet peeves, I think maybe they, they should be learning to leave the uh, unit, the spacesuits on a bit more. Um, yep. 
I think they're learning, they're sort of learning how to live in, in space as such, how to be part of the community of space and, you know, and having to sort of adapt very much to, to every sort of species you come across. And, and although there's this sort of shared, shared um, experiences, shared sort of thing, everybody's different. Everyone has their own, you know, ways of seeing the world and understanding and understanding things and stuff. So I think they're learning that, I don't know if they're they're writing protocols yet, but they're certainly learning lots that will come into sort of mm-hmm. not even protocols, maybe just in training. You know how they train cadets mm-hmm. in you know in fifty yeah. years time from here would be different because of this experience. It would be yeah. more richer and more um, more nuanced because of what goes on in the first year of, of enterprise. So I think there's, mm, yeah, so absolutely. protocols, I'm not sure really if they're, they're really at this point writing protocols or anything, but they're certainly learning a lot. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I had a top five with mine. Um, uh, number five, uh, interspecies protocols or at least training. So if we're looking at it from a, a training aspect, there needs to be a class on uh, be careful where you put your fingers. Don't put them in any strange rocks in a holographic simulation um uh maybe you know the trip protocol don't put your fingers in all the pies um then i've got the archer directive well now this is something we sort of joked about but he does tend to destroy lots of civilizations <laughs> with some uh, very blase way of approaching people uh which we thought you know maybe kirk I was gonna say yeah kirk hasn't learned time. from that has he you know he's uh exactly he's carrying on that tradition he's still yeah. doing it <laughs> <laughs> you know he's he's going old school really technically if you think about it but there you go uh then a cultural protocol as we brought up with the critassins maybe get a full yes. download of what is culturally appropriate yeah. to do in front of an alien species so again you know maybe there's a class on that what's required reading for first contact I think situations. you see that again in tng i'm sure that happens quite often where where picard says you know we've, mm. we've received that the instructions from this species and stuff so that that definitely happens Yes, and I'm wondering if it comes from that. Uh, the Kratassan Protocol, maybe. Um, maybe they get offended by having it named after them. I don't know. Uh, they're so offended that they're, they're offended to have their own protocol. Um, survival protocols. Uh, we need more rations in shuttle pods. We need uh, better communications, maybe a backup yeah. secondary communications as well. Uh, we need to know how to survive on alien planets, all sorts of things. But yes, my numero uno, you guessed it. You already mentioned it, um, is keep the damn suits on till you're absolutely 100% sure there is nothing toxic, killing, nothing's going to die because you remove your helmet. You're not going to get intoxicated and start seeing rock people. Just keep the damn suits on until you're absolutely sure. Um, yeah, that is my one and only protocol I want them to bring in to Starfleet. That is that is day one. It's like, look, when you go to a foreign planet, either make sure you've done a full survey. So that might be six weeks before you get to set your foot on a planet. But keep the damn survey. Keep the damn suits on. Um, but there we go. That's the only ones I could think of from everything that we've done. Um, but it's a lot. It's a lot to really bring from that. Yep, absolutely. And speaking of a lot, we've got stats. We've got some stats. Um, now, I've started up some with jingles. Some of these don't have jingles, but are things that we sort of noticed and I just kept a note of. Uh, but starting with Archer Abductions, the biggest jingle we've got, really. Uh, seven abductions in 23 episodes is 30% of the time 
Archer is abducted for an entire year. The captain is abducted. Uh, Traitred. Yes. Now, this is a personal one. This is obviously not historical. This is just my own thing for that. Eight different separate incidents of Traitred. Now, if I did two in an episode, that counts as one. I'm, I'm going to be lenient, but that's 34% of the time Trip was hurt, was annoying me. So that's a third of the time I was annoyed by Trip. So there we go. Maybe that'll get less as time goes on. I don't yeah, know. I was going to say, um, it's not bad, actually. I was expecting a little bit of higher. So yeah. was I. So was I. But yeah, as far as episodes with a Traitred, I had to go through all the notes with all the pages and mark it down. Um, but yeah, I suppose if we went time by time, I think it was about 12. So it's probably about 50% of the time. I don't like him. Um, but yeah, just episode by episode, eight episodes where it was a full on Traitred. Travis has something to do. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that I kept a note of. Five episodes, only five of 23. That's 21% of the time that Travis has something to do. And the last other stat that I found was Hoshi. Why is she doing this? Um, basically, anytime they gave Hoshi something to do that is nothing to do with communications or you know, why is she operating <laughs> the camera? Why is she operating the transporter? Why is she doing something that is not a communications expert's job? There are three times. So again, they haven't done it too many times, but there are three episodes where, why? Why did they give that? So three in 23 is 13% of the time Hoshi is doing a job that's not her job. There we go. I, I, I don't know where, you know, whether that's one that's going to keep going. Excellent. I don't know. Uh, but there we go. This is stats. <laughs> um, anything else to discuss on 2151 for the new year? Um, no, other than I'm really looking forward to 2152. Hmm. More than I thought I would. Because again, as we said, probably right near the beginning, you know, Coming to rewatch, I was thinking mm, season one, and I, you know, I wouldn't say I've enjoyed it massively, but certainly, mm -hmm. you know, there's I've taken a lot more from it than I thought I was going to. So, I'm looking forward to 2152 into season two. Um, I think I can't really remember season two at the moment, so I'm not sure. I think it gets a little bit better. Um, I mm -hmm. always think of season three and four as being the good seasons of, of Enterprise. Um, but I'm looking forward to yeah. season two. Um, yeah, so, yeah, sort of happy new year, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, happy new year, everyone. It's 21.52 is just coming up. Um, yeah, I can't really think of any New Year's resolutions for the crew. Like, What, what do they need to do better? Um, again, put the suits yep. down. That's the only thing that I can think of. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to see more of the rest of the crew. Uh, in the, the episodes to come we've still got a little bit of season one left to go and then probably the first half of season two um i, I know crewman cutler comes back but i don't know how many more times we're going to get with her uh, that's a, someone we haven't even mentioned in any of this as well that we got to see so many other members yep. of the crew that it was quite nice to have um we'll just yep. have to see see where they end up yeah absolutely right well that's it, that's that's it i think for for another Brilliant. nexus nights um well over an hour and a half i think of recording so there we go um thank you again Pleasure. dan uh, as always plug away the podcast Am academic trek uh, where you find your podcast and academic trek 47 on twitter nice yeah um and by the time this comes out this is the first of january this is going to be uploaded possibly yeah, a new episode I'm due to be recording um on thursday nice excellent that's yeah. fantastic um is this the one where you're going to be debating uh, detained? No. 
No, this this is no. So um, this is this is with Chris Nunn, who is a mm-hmm. uh, doctor, I believe. Um, he, a media, so he deals with um, TV and, and movies and and make them sort of production values and production side of things. How you how you make TV? Ooh, interesting. And um, we're going to talk about. He's, he's running a course at the moment which uses Star Trek and some other sci-fi in it. So we're going to talk about that. And then we're also going to talk about a couple of episodes and we're going to sort of break them down from his um, speciality point of view. Oh, yeah. wow. So, Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be cool. Yeah, you can hear him actually. Doc, Had- Chris Nunn has been on... Um, there's a, a, a podcast called um, Primitive Culture which is mm. um, a Trek FM podcast. Um, and he's been on it quite a few times. He's not the main guest, uh, main main uh, host, but he's guested on it quite a few times. If you want to have a listen to to what he has, sort of Ooh. his genuine thoughts on Star Trek and stuff, then that's where you can find him, actually. So and very interesting. He's, he's an interesting guy. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm. I mean, how does he like the fact that he's watching a show or using a show that doesn't even like TV? Um, they banned it. So... Uh... You know, it fell out yeah. of favour. So you know, his his doctorate yeah. is uh, not is not going to be valid in the twenty fourth century. Yeah, I have to ask him that. Actually, I might. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a love hate yes. relationship with Star Trek. Absolutely. Maybe I don't know. Uh, excellent. Well, uh, yeah. As always, um, thank you very much for listening, and uh, we have been your co-hosts on Nexus Nights and, of course, Temple Trek as well. And uh, we will catch you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this latest Nexus Nights episode. If you'd like to get in contact, you can search us on Facebook or find me on Twitter at Rider underscore Coattail. Or you can find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. The show itself is a work of pure fiction on my part and all the views and opinions I express are my own and are not reflective of the rights holders of Star Trek. The intro music, The Dust Clears, and the outro music, Changes, are by Jim Hall. Check out his work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek Nexus Nights is hosted on Anchor FM. If you enjoyed this content and would like to support the show, follow, subscribe, review, and of course, share on social media for me. And I'll catch you next time.